This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. It's a new week, and we've got a new show where two of our esteemed TriDot coaches will talk with us about bike upgrades, specifically kicking around the idea of measuring our purchasing decisions in terms of watts per dollar. So we can enter the holiday shopping season armed with crucial info on the arrow gains we can milk out of our budget. I'm joined today by TriDot's very own Matt Bach. Matt is an accomplished athlete with an Ironman Maryland victory and 72nd overall finish in Kona on his resume. He worked on Wall Street as a trader and portfolio manager for nine years, earned his MBA from Temple University, worked in marketing at UCAN for two and a half years before coming on board to lead TriDot's marketing efforts. Now, Matt, I got to tell you, back when I was in St. George supporting our athletes as they were racing 70.3 World Championships in Utah, I had an athlete very specifically tell me, he, he said, hey, that new Matt guy on the podcast w- w- was pretty good. He's had some good stuff to say. So, Matt, I, I was unsure about you. I was unsure about doing anything to keep bringing this guy on the podcast. But now that I got that feedback from from an athlete who uh, who, who, li- who liked your stuff, uh, I, I guess we'll just keep bringing you back on from time to time. <laughs> I'm so glad to have a new fan. Now, I can safely say that I have over maybe a half dozen. Nice. Maybe one day I'll have tenth the falling of you, Andrew. I'm just cute and adorable, Matt. Everybody, everybody loves the cute and adorable guy. Um, next up is Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads TriDot's Athlete Services, Ambassador, and Coaching Programs. He has coached hundreds of athletes, ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using TriDot since 2010 and coaching with TriDot since 2012. John, are you ready to tempt some folks to buy some new stuff today? Yeah. Now I will say that I, I've always been a fan of Matt. So I knew, I knew from the beginning, <laughs> Matt, I was uh, probably behind your mom and your wife. I was, I was fan number three. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I was an early adopter there, but uh, yeah, uh, we, we can definitely, t- we can definitely tempt some folks to, to buy some stuff, but, but maybe, maybe not, maybe on the other side, maybe we can uh, convince some folks that what they've got is, uh, not is good enough, stuff, at least right? for now. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, maybe plot twist. Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll approach the show like any other workout. We'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cooldown. Shout out to Garmin for partnering with us on the TriDot Podcast. Garmin is the global leader in GPS navigation and wearable technology, and they want to help you make the most of your time spent pursuing your passions. In the fitness and multi-sport market, Garmin products are the gold standard, known for their compelling design, superior quality, and best value. As a triathlete, Garmin can be and should be your very best friend. They offer best-in-class GPS watches that can track your every swim, bike, and run with ease. You can also bring Garmin into your pain cave with their Tax Indoor Trainers and Accessories. I tell everyone who will listen that my Tax Flux Indoor Smart Trainer is the best investment I have made in my bike training. The best part is Garmin is integrated with TriDot, so your Garmin Connect and Garmin Health data seamlessly streams to TriDot, and your training is continually optimized. So head to Garmin.com and check out all the cool tech they have to offer. Time time, time to warm up. Let's get moving. 
Our training in racing inevitably will take us uphill and downhill. And depending on the terrain, those downhills can get us going pretty fast on our two very skinny tires. Some folks love the adrenaline rush of bombing down a good descent, while others approach these moments with fear, trembling, and a white-knuckled grip on the bars. Matt, John, from your entire history of cycling, what is the fastest speed you have ever reached going downhill, and where were you when you hit that speed? Matt Bach, we'll go to you first. I got to jump right out the gate here and say, this is not an endorsement. We're not trying to talk up playing that we're going <laughs> fast. Don't go out there and try bombing down hills. We don't want you to get hurt. So still be careful. Listen to your... This inner, is not a challenge. This is not a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't actually sure to the answer to this question. So I look back at my logs for this one. I didn't think that I was much of a daredevil because at Ironman Lake Placid, which I've raced a couple times and have done training camps at, I've noticed that people were just flying by me, like people who were really bombing down the hills. And uh, there's some turns on those and sometimes it's pretty bumpy. Um, but you know, I didn't think I was much of a daredevil, but it turns out that I hit 53.8 miles per hour wow. uh, as my max speed. Yeah. That was actually back when I was on the big Island, uh, working, uh, quote unquote at the Ironman world championship. doesn't feel like work when you're in Kona. Uh, I went sure. on a ride with a buddy. I was on a Ventum road bike and that Ventum let me borrow. Uh, so how on nice a borrowed bike nonetheless. Yeah, how, how nice. And uh, we rode southeast from Kona up towards Captain Cook. There's a really big climb. Anybody who's ridden out that way knows that there's a really big climb over there with amazing views. Uh, it also has really great visibility, a great road surface, and a big shoulder. Uh, so on the way back down that hill, I bombed it on the way back down, apparently, because uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I ever hit that far over 50 miles an hour before, but apparently I did. Ventum will be very happy, I'm sure, to hear you say that on the podcast. H handled really well. John Mayfield, what is the fastest you've gone on your two very skinny bike wheels. So this year, um, I think my top speed, as you mentioned, was actually at Alcatraz. Um, I hit uh, right around 40 miles an hour um, on on some of those. It was, again, nice to be on a road bike as opposed to a, a TT bike. But um, yeah, I, I don't have probably as, as high as, as some. I When I do um, get out and ride on on the hills and, and even in the mountains, I am, I am much more cautious. I am one sitting up riding my back brake as opposed to the, the front brake because I certainly don't want to end up going over the bars. Um, but but I think the one I would I would brag on is one time I hit 40 miles an hour on a flat. Um, no, so stop it. we had a a really strong tailwind. Uh, I was in a group of some really strong cyclists. Uh, I was definitely in my 10 tooth gear with a big ring up front uh, spinning about 115 RPM. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's that's my record is is I did hit 40 miles an hour on a flat. So uh, and again, that was with a, a pretty stiff uh, tailwind and, and being being pulled by some strong cyclists. But yeah, so uh, both both my answers are right around 40 miles an hour. One is the fastest I've been downhill this year was 40 <laughs> and my, my fastest ever uh, on a flat was was like 40.0. Well, my fastest on a downhill is uh, is slower than John's fastest on a flat. Um, so my fastest speed I've ever hit, uh, I, I hit it at 70.3 grease. Um, the, the, the course in Greece had really smooth roads and, um, it, it was, it was kind of an L shaped course. Um, and so as, as you were basically when you were on the coast, obviously you're at sea level and then the rest of the course, you know, you, you were heading uphill, uh, or, or downhill. And, um, it, 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 there's just a, the, this long grinding climb, uh, as you were leaving the, the coast. And so on the, on the way back, obviously that long grinding climb, becomes a nice long steady uh downhill and so there was one particular portion where it was nice and smooth it was straight you could see the whole road uh just unfurled in front of you 
Um, and, and so I, as a, as a nervy handler, as somebody who is not as confident in his biking skills, maybe as, as you two are, um, you know, that, that was the most confident I've been just in terms of bombing down a hill. And so I pedaled as much as I could and, and got up to the biggest speed I could. And so for me, that was 39.6 miles an hour. And, and, to, and to our audience, n- nobody tell our wives. <laughs> They don't, they don't, they don't need to know. Um, they, they just, they, they know that we came back from those rides safe and sound. Everything went fine. Uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't wreck going 50 miles an hour downhill in Kona. Um, with my, with my life insurance, I'm worth more dead than alive. So my wife may not be all that much concerned. <laughs> that got dark real fast. That took a dark turn. Uh, guys, we're going to throw this out to y'all on social media. I'm, I'm really curious to hear And this, this question, shout out to all of our other athletes that raced in, in, uh, St. George at the world championships. Uh, at dinner that night uh, after the race, uh, all the athletes sitting at Buffalo Wild Wings with us uh, were, were chit-chatting, and that was kind of the question of the day, was that there was one huge hill in St. George, and everybody was talking, hey, how fast did you get on that hill? Uh, and, and so um, that inspired this question. So shout out to our athletes who raced 70.3 Worlds in St. George. Um, but we want to hear from you. What is the fastest you've gotten to on your bike, and where were you when you hit that speed? On to the main set. Going in three... Two, one. The whole Tri team has been learning from Oxford University professor Kieran Clark, founder and CEO of T Delta S Global, about the performance and health benefits of drinking the revolutionary Oxford ketone ester called Delta G. Professor Clark led the effort to develop Delta G, which is now available in three strengths 10 grams for health, 25 grams for performance, and 32 grams of raw ester to go that extra mile. After seeing the impact Delta G had on my training, I excitedly made it a part of my nutrition strategy at Ironman Waco. I used three bottles of Delta G Tactical on race day, and I felt fueled all the way to the finish line. It will 100% be part of my fueling strategy for my upcoming races. And so I encourage you to head to deltagketones.com and try Delta G for yourself. At this present moment, at the release of this episode, like right now on their website, Delta G is running their pre-Black Friday sale where you can get up to 45% off your purchase. So again, that's DeltaGKetones.com to take advantage of that sale. And any other time of year, use the code TRYDOT20 to get 20% off your super fuel Delta G ketone drinks. Every corner of this sport holds a few products that we can purchase to instantly help our performance, but none more so than when it comes to our bike gear selection. So today, Matt, John, and I will be talking about all the most popular bike upgrades triathletes can make, and hopefully, somewhere in our conversation, you'll be steered in the right direction for your next purchase. So guys, when we use the term watts per dollar and we talk about buying speed, what do we mean by that? What does the price of an item have to do with the watts it saves us? So it's somewhat of a value index. It's, it's telling us um, what, what is the benefit of this and then what is the cost of it. So we're looking at improvements in aerodynamics, weight, rolling resistance, anything that's going to allow us to go faster given the fitness that, that we have. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's a bit of a, a uh, almost a moving target or something that's sometimes difficult to truly quantify. Um, simply because quantifying and identifying what the the uh, benefit of it is is very difficult. So we're going we're to talk in some some round numbers and and the hard dollars are a little bit easier to it to attach. 
Um, but you know, it's going to really vary based on on the product, and even from there, the 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 user and uh, the product that they they buy um, will all. But um, you know, there's there's a a large array of of things that that we can that we can buy or we can add or we can do that that will um, increase that that efficiency. And and some things are going to make big differences, and um, some of those big differences are very cheap. Some of those big differences are real expensive. Uh, some things are, are going to be very marginal, and uh, but but it's it's better than than where we were. Uh, and some of those things are real cheap, and some of those things are real expensive. And that that's really where we get into that watts per dollar. It's it's kind of again a quantification of how much am I going to get out of this? How much does this cost me? So, so basically what, what is my, my cost per, uh, or what is that watt per dollar cost? Yeah. And I'm glad you said that, John, it's a great point to make that, you know, when you're shopping, when you're looking at, at the cycling industry and at the items that are out there that you can buy next, you know, so many of these companies ha have taken their product into a, a wind tunnel of some sort, and, and they've actually done some calculations. And, and so they, they'll give you, you know, even a, a estimate or a chart that says, okay, you know, if, if you buy our products compared to a, a different version of this product, it is going to save you X amount of watts. It's going to give you, you know, two minutes of time at an Ironman. Uh, and they throw figures like that around, and and those are great, but but it's important for us to know when you're looking at those, everybody's chart is a little bit different. Everybody's, you know, when, when they're in the wind tunnel with those products, you know, they're, they're measuring that product at a certain speed. You know, often that speed is 25, 30 uh, miles an hour or higher. Uh, and, and so the, the watts that's being quoted by these companies in their marketing isn't necessarily indicative of how many watts you're going to save out there on the course. And so when, when I was actually researching for this episode and looking around at, at what was out there on the market to, to kind of talk about watts per dollar and which items are, are worth your, your, your money, you know, it's, it's very hard to produce a chart that says, okay, you know, for, for you you know, this item is going to save you this many watts, this item is going to save you that many watts, because for all of us, it's different based on our bike setups, based on the, the weather of the day of where we're riding next. Um, and, and so like you said, John, today, as we're talking, we're going to do our best to steer people in the right direction. We're, we're going to, you know, be throwing out some watt figures and some time figures. Uh, and those are all very general and relative to to each individual. Um, so that's a great point you made there, John. But there's a certain amount of faith and, and hope that, that are involved with these purchases, um, because especially when we're talking about aerodynamics, aerodynamics is, is, is kind of funny. There are some things that you would think uh, would improve aerodynamics and they hurt you um, or there can be a diminishing or negative return. So the classic is is your bike fit. Um, obviously, as we go from like a road position down to a time trial position, getting lower improves aerodynamics. But there's a certain point where you get too low. And now you have a diminished return or even a negative return where dropping a couple spacers out of your stem actually makes you less aerodynamic. And, and that's kind of a, a thing that you would think that lower would be better. And, um, you know, where is it in that crossover point of, of how low do you get to improve your aerodynamics versus all of a sudden you feel like you're doing something that's helping your aerodynamics and it's actually hurting your aerodynamics. But again, those things are very hard to, to quantify and hard to measure. So um, again, it, it's not always about aero or lighter or, or more efficient. You know, we, we also are going to talk about things like um, comfort and practicality that sometimes those are actually going to trump um, being more aero or, or uh, being lighter, things like that. Yep. So before we get to the part where we, I'll just go out and write our holiday shopping list, you know, based on this conversation. You know, there are some things that we can do as triathletes to gain watts on race day, spending next to nothing. You know, for, for the men, uh, a, a prime example is shaving our legs, uh, you know, and 
before we talk bike gear, you know, what measures should triathletes implement to get faster uh, without even spending money? So I think we would be remiss if we didn't make the obvious uh, point here that that what we're, what we're going to be talking about today are are very marginal gains. We're talking about um, seconds to minutes, even over an Ironman distance race. Uh, there's nothing that you can can go out and buy that's going to drop an hour off your Ironman bike split. Um, and certainly as the distances get shorter from there, your, your improvements um, are less. But that said... Um, the vast, vast majority of what is going to determine your performance level is you, the engine that that is pushing those watts um, and 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 doing the work. So um, that is going to account for ninety eight percent, probably of of your of your of your performance. So what we're talking about here is just kind of that extra two percent somewhere in that. It's a the very very iceberg. small number. So. Exactly. If if that, if not the tip of the tip <laughs> of the iceberg, uh, simply because so much of your of your performance um, is really is based on you, which is which is kind of great. You know, we we have somewhat of a level playing field there in that uh, we get the results that that we put in, uh, as opposed to the results that we that we buy through through gear. But uh, yeah, and, and so um, there these are some things that cost a little bit of money. So, uh, for us, we know that doing the right training, right, utilizing TriDots optimized training, that is going to help you produce your best results on a race day. So, uh, there is a, a, a marginal cost to that, but again, the, the gains there, if we could, if we could correlate a Watts per dollar for that, I, I, I I'm confident that would be, uh, far and away the, the biggest watt per dollar that you can get is following your optimized training and, and, and doing the right training. Right. Uh, but even things like that, improving body composition, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, as well, if, if, if you're like me and you're carrying around a couple extra pounds, focus on, on getting down to a better body composition. So, um, being both, both lighter and more aerodynamic in that. So there's, there's kind of twofold there. I can improve, um, I can improve my efficiency on the bike one by, by dropping weight. But again, in dropping that weight, my, my overall body size becomes smaller. Uh, so in, in that essence, it becomes more aerodynamic. Um, and then doing things like adding strength training. So, um, uh, doing those things that one are going to help, uh, help you do the right training, right. Help you train consistently, help keep you injury free so that you can race at your peak. So you can train consistently, but then also get those power gains from, uh, the additional muscular power as well. So, yeah. um, again, it's, it's really the vast, vast majority of performance is really based on, on you and what you do with your body, how you build your engine. But, um, we're going to have some fun talking about, uh, those, those 2% things as well. Yeah. A couple things to add. I mean, definitely the engine is the most important, but a couple things to add here. I'm with you, Andrew. Absolutely. Shave those legs. Have people have heard me say it on the podcast before, as well as in my article uh, that I had written for USA triathlon, uh, but shaving those legs, you know, put the, uh, put your ego aside, you know, all shaving your legs costs you is a bit of time and a bit of your ego. It's, so. it, it's an absolute no brainer. Right. And, and I mean, the, the only, the only cost is just the, the annoyance of the time it takes for it to grow back on the back end. Uh, mine is still coming, coming back in from Ironman Waco. It's going to take it a little while to do so. But, um, I, I remember just even looking at my pictures after Ironman Waco, I'm like, man, my legs were so shiny in all these pictures. Uh, cause I'm just, I'm just not used to seeing my own legs without uh, a ton of hair on them. So it was kind of weird. It's kind of like, are those my legs or somebody else's legs? I'm, I'm undecided on that. Well, a, cu- a couple more, uh, on tire pressure. It matters. It's something that's free. Uh, so for, t- and there's two reasons actually. So first it, it's because it affects your rolling resistance. 
the old school line of thinking was that higher pressure was better. So yeah. cyclists were inflating their tires to absurdly high pressures, like 150, 200 PSI, just going through all these measures to, to try to get it really up there. But it turns out that that's only good in the velodrome when you're on a track surface that's basically perfect. It's perfectly smooth. Uh, but out on the open road, especially rougher roads, you will be faster and more comfortable riding on lower pressures. There's been a number of studies that have come out lately in the last you know few years or so uh, that riding at around 80 to 100 PSI, uh, depending on that road surface, is actually better and faster, more comfortable, all just better all around. Um, so the second reason, though, is that tire pressure, uh, it could matter because it's uh, it's connected to the 105% rule, which I'll explain in a second. But you know, between uh, 87 and 115 PSI, uh, most of these tires will grow by nearly a millimeter in width. Um, you want to have your tire be, and here's the 105% rule that you know you want to have your uh, the rim width be at least 105% of the tire width. And that's, uh, I mean, I'm not going to get sciencey on you here, and I don't know all the science. I'm not a physics person, but uh, it's it smooths the dirty air that is caused by the tire as it breaks the wind. Uh, so pay attention to the ratio. Just kind of confirm or look at your at your tire setup there uh, to confirm that the ratio between your tire and your rim size. Make sure that that tire size um, or that rim size is 105% of the tire width or more. Um, the tire size is easiest to modify. Rims are expensive, um, so you can very quickly and easily swap out a tire if you need to uh, go go narrower or or maybe a little wider um, to just kind of keep around that 105% or so. Yeah, and so and so basically, Matt, it's it's looking at what wheel you have. And knowing, okay, that that wheel is is 21 millimeters wide uh, internally, and then buying a tire that is 105 within 105 percent bigger than that, and and the whole thing, the the whole goal is to, the the whole purpose of that is to make your tire to wheel relationship as aero as possible. Um, it, you you can have the most aerodynamic wheels on the planet, but if if your tire is way wider or way narrower. You're not reaping all the uh, aerodynamic advantages out of that tire to wheel relationship, if that makes sense, right? Yep. And in particular, the rim width should be at least 105% of the tire width. So the tire okay. should break the wind and then the wind, um, you know, smooths around the rim width. The, wind, the rim is actually wider. Got it. 105%. Okay. So th- those are some things that we can look at, you know, the relationship between our, our tire and the wheel, uh, whether or not we have shaved our legs, uh, uh, you know, doing the right training right. All those things are essentially free or very cheap ways to to save some watts buy some time um so let's move on to the things that actually have a price tag you know what are some items that will save us watts and come with a small price tag yeah there's a few of those that are pretty darn small prices and you know small price tags but um they're going to help you um, either a small amount or a large amount but either way the price is so small that it still makes sense Uh, so one of them is just swapping out your tires you know tires don't cost a ton maybe 60 bucks or so uh, I, I only learned this very recently, but tires with a visible center tread wear, they're costing you time because it, it makes sense because it, the, as, the, as the tire wears, it flattens and flat is a terrible aerodynamic shape. Yeah. Uh, so for your A races, just make sure you swap out your tires sometime before that. It doesn't have to be a brand new tire. I think you don't want it to be maybe a brand new tire. You Probably before your race rehearsals. Test it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so have a lower mileage on there. You just don't want them to be really worn. Another one is um, latex tubes. Yeah. So for anybody who is still running tubes uh, and they're not running tubeless tires, uh, getting latex tubes, and that's something that people have been using for a long, long time. They're only about 15 bucks or so per tube. Uh, they're going to save you a couple watts or so, and um, they're pretty darn inexpensive. So uh, to me, that's a no-brainer when you're racing. 
Yeah, you, you get a couple watts per tube, I, I, I believe. And when you're because you're buying tubes anyway, and you're putting tubes in your bike anyway. And so to, to spend, I, I think maybe they're just four or five dollars more per tube, even uh, maybe not even. Um, and and the, the they're more comfortable, honestly. They they also um, they, they lower the the risk of you flatting uh, because they are more supple, and so they they bend around um, divots or debris in the road better than a, a, a buntel tube. And then um, the, the only downside to because I run latex tubes, so I'm, I'm saying all those from experience. The only downside is you, you do have to pump your tires up uh, mm-hmm. more more frequently because the the air those tubes are so supple, um, air leaks out of them at a faster rate. Uh, it's not fast enough to matter on race day or on training day, um, but every single day, you know, if I did my my Tuesday trot out workout and then I go back for my Thursday trot out workout. I have to repump up my tire because enough air is leaked out in those two days that I, I have to, to, to re-air it. So, but, but other than that, I mean, you're already buying tubes, so get the latex ones and, uh, just, just a couple of Watts per tire, um, savings there. Yeah. And another one that's pretty inexpensive, just get some chain lube and learn how to apply it. I mean, you could look on YouTube, you could ask a buddy, uh, it's very easy to do. Uh, just put some paper towels under your chain, squirt some chain lube on the moving chain while you're turning the crank. Uh, and then hold a few paper towels on the chain to dry off the excess chain lube while you're turning the crank with the other hand. So you'd be surprised how much dirt, sand, grease, all that stuff gets into your chain and adds friction to your drivetrain. Um, and also remember to swap out your chain from time to time because that, that grit that gets in there, it it contributes to something called chain stretch. It's not actually your chain stretching. It's just a lot of grit and things that um, frictions away some of the chain material and it ends up um, not riding particularly smoothly on your cassette and your rings. Um, so it depends on how much you're riding, how often you need to ch- swap out your chain. But if it's been, you know, two, three, four years, you definitely need to swap it out. Uh, I typically swap mine out maybe once per year, uh, put a fresh new chain on at the beginning of the year. And, um, that makes sure that you don't have any of that, those issues with, uh, chains, um, being all worn out. Yeah. And especially, you know, if you have a, a race, if you have one, a race every single year, you know, swap out that chain, you know, before your race rehearsals for that a race and, uh, just, just make sure you're ready to rock and roll. Um, something I'll throw out there, cause I'm very passionate about it is, uh, making your, your hydration setup more arrow. Um, I see people at local sprints, local Olympics, Ironman races, um, with round bottles on their down tubes and it just it, it makes me want to scream I, I just i just don't get it because the the price difference between a round bottle and a aero bottle is very little um you know by the time you buy the, the bottle by the time you buy the bottle cages um it, it does not cost a whole lot more to buy a aero bottle and and, and so first of all if, if you're racing short course um and, and you don't need a ton of of high fluids on the bike there's no, there's no reason to have a bottle on your down tubes. Um, you know, invest in a, um, and they're not super expensive, you know, and invest in a good between the arms setup or in a behind the saddle setup. Um, and suddenly you've got your, your hydration largely out of the wind. Um, if you do, if you are racing longer and you need to have a bottle on the down tube, um, I, I personally, I, I bought, um, there's a couple brands, Profile Design, Elite, um, that there's a couple different versions that you can buy out there. Um, I got mine off of Amazon. And my, my arrow shaped, uh, bottles are just three, four, five dollars more than buying a round bottle. Um, and it just, um, you know, I, I kind of read some studies and, and the, the time save the, the watt savings, you know, having a round, a round bottle on your tube is, is creating drag to the tune of four to five Watts. Um, and making that bottle arrow shaped, um, now you're only losing uh, one Watt. And in some cases, depending on the shape of your bike, 
um, it, it might actually be neutral to where it's not actually uh, increasing any drag at all. So um, for the price, um, you know, you're already putting fluid on your bike anyway. So so check out the different options to make those setups uh, more aero than having a round bottle on your down tube. So one of the uh, probably undisputed things that, that we can do, and it's it's consistently among the top ranked watts per dollar, is utilizing an aero helmet. Um, so there are a lot of options now, um, a lot of different shapes, budgets, all that. So uh, this is one of those things that if, if you're racing, you should probably put towards the top of the list simply because the the watts to value are there. It's, it's a known quantity. This is one of those things that there's not a whole lot of faith involved in. Uh, wear the aero helmet. You can get one for 250, 300 bucks. Um, the the rule of thumb is somewhere in the eight to ten watt range, so it's about thirty dollars per watt, which is is relatively low down there on that uh, on that spectrum on that scale of watts per dollar. So that that's one of those that uh, everyone seems to agree on, uh, and and what we see too is the vast majority of athletes out there are utilizing them. So definitely one of those things to to utilize. Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later when uh, when we talk about value. But the, this another one that's great value is your sleeve tri kit. Um, we've talked about this before on the podcast and in that USA triathlon article, uh, get, I mean, you have to have a kit anyway, right? So you're already going to be spending money on a kit. You, unless, you need to wear unless something. Unless you found a new triathlon I'm not aware of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to be part of that though. Uh, but a, a cheap, a uh, hundred dollar kit, um, it's not going to be the best design or the material. Um, so spend 300 bucks on a great one. Uh, it'll save you some, some serious Watts. It'll be more comfortable. Uh, wattage wise. I mean, it might save you around 10 Watts. Uh, so if you're, a, a, um, it, it kind of depends on the fit. You want to make sure that it's a fit that is very, uh, like nice and snug on you and doesn't have a lot of wrinkles. Uh, and if you do that and then it, it's a very arrow, very comfortable, uh, plus if you get it on the TriDot store, uh, then you can get an awesome one that has, that is very arrow, very comfortable, and you'll be representing TriDot at the same time. Uh, also there's a, a new design this year that looks fantastic. And, uh, if you're a TriDot subscriber, you get 15% off. Uh, for the sleeve track kits, though, just in general, I mean, the value is something like 30 bucks per watt, a lot like the Aero Helmet, uh, because you're you're saving a good number of watts there, and it's not going to cost you a ton, a ton of money. I I listened to part of that, and I ignored part of that, because I was I was still in my head trying to wrap my mind around what a, a naked triathlon would be like, and I, I've determined that uh, I, I want no part in, uh, in what that would be like. I would much rather wear a, a tri kit and be wearing something, uh, particularly on my bike, but uh, but 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 anyway... <laughs> It's like, would, would the shaping be worse or not as bad? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or just in different places. Gross. So uh, another one is uh, shoe coverings. They're proven to make you slightly more aero. Uh, they can also, though, make your feet overheat. Uh, and they can they might take a little extra time to put on or take off. So uh, the verdict's out for me on shoe coverings uh, as far as whether they make sense or not. I, th- I think you might be able to find a the right shoe covering or maybe the right shoe, um, in order to, to get there, um, with it, maybe save a little bit, but, uh, it is a very, fairly inexpensive thing that you can do to, to potentially save a little bit. Yeah, Matt. And that's interesting because, because arrow shoe coverings are not very expensive to, to your point. And that that's where you see when you watch the Tour de France every year, when you watch pro cycling, when you watch pro cyclist time trial, a hundred percent of the time, like they are wearing those. I, I, I vaguely remember Lucy Charles at Kona a few years back wearing some Aero socks, I believe, uh, and I, I could be mistaken on that. And because I, I remember the coverage talking about it, but um, something that a lot of the pros do do is they they wear Bont cycling shoes. And, and I'll, I'll give that specific brand a shout out. There's a ton of great cycling shoes out there. Um, I, I don't wear Bonts personally. I, I've seen them. Uh, I know Elizabeth, Elizabeth James. 
uh, from the podcast. She just switched uh, to Bont Cycling Shoes for for this very reason. They have one model um, that has, because basically with, with your shoes, the, the, the deal is the the straps, the, the little boa dials, um, all of those things on the shoe, um, th- those are not very aero uh, in, in the wind. And so if you can cover that up, you're, you're making your shoe surface more aerodynamic. And that, that's a surface that's out in the wind for the entire bike ride. Um, and so Bont has a model that has a uh, a, a covering that, that goes over all the dials and straps, and it just kind of smoothens out um, you know, the, the, the surface area that, that where the shoe is coming in contact with the wind, um, Jan Ferdino, Ben Hoffman, um, I, you know, se- several of those guys are wearing those shoes. Um, and then they have a dimple built into the, the design as well. And so if you really want to, you know, you're buying cycling shoes anyway, if you want the most aerodynamic option without, uh, trying to mess with shoe coverings, you can look up those bond, uh, shoes that are, uh, advertised to be a little bit more aerodynamic. Yeah. All good points. Another one that falls in this category of a relatively low price is a wax chain. So, I mean, for what it is, it's maybe a little bit on the expensive side. It's about 150 bucks or so. It might save you two-ish watts. Um, and it only is going to save you those watts until the wax essentially wears off. Uh, and then at that point, it's just like any other chain. Um, so the value, it's about 70 bucks per watt, give or take. The other, the last thing I'm going to throw out there as a a... a small ticket arrow item um is i i do want to give a shout out to there's a company called tri-rig uh and many of our longtime listeners are familiar with me talking about my tri-rig scoops uh the, the arm cups that, that that i use um a lot of uh tried outers have bought those now um tried out coach jeff rains actually rides on a tri-rig omni bike um but tri-rig if you go to their their uh, website they have several kind of small ticket arrow accessories that, that each will save you, you know, two, two to three to four Watts a, a piece. Um, and, and it's, it, it's kind of a really fun website. They've got a lot of options there. And so you can kind of peruse and see what might make sense for you and your setup. Uh, one thing I have, I have their front brake, um, and they, they, they have a couple other things. They have some arrow skewers, um, you know, that, that instead of having the quick release, uh, skewer handle, um, they, they bolt in and you have to screw the skewer in, um, and so it's more arrow saves you a couple of Watts per skewer. Um, there's some options there that, that aren't big ticket items that can save you a few Watts here and there and look really cool as well. So moving on from these small ticket items into the big ticket items, these are the things that come with a he- heavy price tag. Um, what are these items that can save us Watts, uh, but at a larger cost? Yeah. One of them right at the top here, and I, I'm going to kind of go in order of, um, maybe the, the, <laughs> Kind of the worst value or some <laughs> of the highest price tags up to, down towards sure. some of the um, modest moderate price tags um, but first one an arrow frame so i i know you're on a bike and you're on the ground but the sky is the limit with arrow frame costs i've got buddies <laughs> uh, well spent... done well done oh thank you thank you i knew, I knew you'd appreciate that <laughs> i really channeled my inner andrew for that I'm trying to get extra fans you know yeah 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 that, that'll do it so i have buddies who uh, have spent I mean, I think we all do, right? It's 10, 15 grand or more on their ride. And yeah, I mean, it looks awesome. It doesn't, of course, necessarily mean that they're the fastest out there. Yeah. So having an aero frame, it might, I mean, that touches back on what we talked about with the, you know, the engine being the most important thing. But uh, having an aero frame, I mean, it might save you something like five or 10 watts versus another frame, but it could cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, so remember that it's the rider that accounts for 70% of the drag. Wow. The engine is the most important thing, but then as far as aerodynamics are concerned, the rider is is most of the drag. So the frame itself only accounts for a small fraction of the overall drag. Uh, so don't go crazy. I'm actually still riding my 2009 Cannondale Slice. Am I leaving a little something on the table? Yeah, 
but it's not enough for me to go drop a bunch of G's on a new bike right now. Uh, the value here is something that ranges massively, but between two hundred and two thousand dollars per watt. But either way, it's it's not great value. And if so, if you're just chasing aerodynamics, uh, then not your best purchase. If you're, you know, just in the need of a new bike because it's outdated, it's not working well for you anymore, it's not fit right to you, then you know that certainly could be ju a justification for getting a new bike. But uh, if you're just trying to save a few watts, that's just not the right right path to go. Yeah, and and Matt, I do want to speak to that when we talk about saving watts and, and the, the first we, we always talk about the kit and we talk about the aero helmet and and we talk about the shaving legs right <laughs> but because because of what you just said the, the rider is most of the drag and, and so we we want to start with the items that are going to make us the rider more aerodynamic before we get down to the um, um, bike items and and that's that's largely you know because of that and it's also because of the, the the price tag and so that's just something to keep in mind it's it's fun buying the bike stuff um it's it's sexy to buy the bike stuff you know you, you like in those pictures to to look super aero like like the pros do uh but it's not always the best bang for for, for your buck yep yep and another one here that's not really the best bang for your buck as far as saving watts is lighter parts so we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I mean, you can swap out steel or aluminum parts in your bike for carbon or titanium to make it lighter. Uh, that's all the rage in certain circles. It, it was for a while, even in the triathlon world to lighten your bike up. But um, just for reference, most triathlon bikes tend to be between 17 and 21 ish pounds. Uh, road bikes are often 14 or 15 pounds. Triathletes just don't climb as much. So it just doesn't matter as much. And, and aerodynamics matters so much more uh, than a handful of grams on your bike. So um, the bikes are just designed for a different purpose. You're better off focusing on losing your muffin top than <laughs> spending all sorts of money to trim weight off your tri bike. That's for sure. That got real personal. That got real personal real fast. Still attacked. <laughs> <laughs> so making your bike lighter, uh, it's not a bad thing. Um, if you got some money burning your hole in a pocket, then you know go for it. But uh, it's it's going to cost you a ton of money, and the value t is is not really there if, if you're just trying to save some watts there. Um, so it, it could be anywhere between three hundred and fifteen hundred bucks per watt. It's not cheap. John, what about you? What, what, what's a what's a big ticket item that, that you want to bring bring to our attention today? So one of the things I, I think they're actually pretty cool, um, but they are they are spendy, and this is one of those where you can spend a lot for for not a ton. But uh, I, I think at the same point, I think the oversized pulley wheels look really cool, um, and, <laughs> they, and I, they do. I, I, yeah. I think <laughs> I think that the vast majority of athletes, if they were honest, would say that is why they they went with the oversized pulleys just because they look super cool and and. I say it's even it's even somewhat of an emerging thing, you know. I'd say five years ago we didn't really think about the the pulley wheels that we had. Maybe put on some ceramic ones, but you know the oversized are relatively new, and now they're coming out with some that that even have uh, aero shields and some funky colors and and are, are a great accent to the bike. So, um, you know, they're they're going to run um, five six hundred bucks all the way up to to several thousand, depending on on what you get. Um, and and what are you going to save? Probably two to three watts. So, uh, you know, you're looking at at two dollars per watt um and up from there but you know not everything we do is all about the watts. sometimes it's just about uh <laughs> feeling good and uh liking your bike so absolutely uh, you know do do what you want hey, if it has a mental effect of making you feel like superman and you race absolutely. better because you feel like superman then hey <laughs> do it so another one uh arrow wheels definitely falls into the category of being a higher ticket item if you're going to go out and buy them. So aero wheels, they'll save you about five watts, um, maybe a bit more. Uh, they're going to cost you you know, two grand for a pair of wheels. And that's if you decide to get one in the front and one in the rear. But the problem is that you might want to get multiple for the front, multiple for the rear, so that you're equipped and ready with different wheel sets and wheel combinations for different courses. So you might actually want to get a disc rear, a disc four-year rear, 
uh, 60 or 80 millimeter for the rear, uh, an 80 millimeter for the front, and a 40 for the millimeter for the front. So if you end up getting all the, these different combinations, it ends up costing you a lot of money. I mean, you might cost, you might spend four grand on this. Uh, so I always ended up renting wheels for my A and my B race, some of my B races, uh, which I used to do for about 150 bucks per race. I guess these days it looks like it's more like maybe two to $300 per race, uh, depending on exactly what combination you get and, and all that. But uh, it depends on how often you race with aero wheels too. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be racing a whole bunch, then it may make sense to buy them. Uh, but for me, I would only actually wear or use my, my race wheels on maybe two to three races a year. And so for me, it just absolutely made sense to rent instead. Um, they often have them available renting for, you know, the bigger races, Ironman races and things uh, where you can actually pick them up right there on the site, like very convenient. Uh, the value, I mean, if you buy, it's something like 400 bucks a watt, not cheap at all. Uh, if you rent, it's it's definitely a lot cheaper uh, in the long run if you're not going to be using them you know, at, at every race and, and racing a whole punch. Yeah, my, I think my mindset with, uh, with with wheels, Matt, if I could go back and do it again, um, I think especially early in my triathlon career, I, I probably would have been better off renting um, for exactly all the reasons you said. Because the other thing to factor in is, I mean, I do 97, 98% of my training indoors on Zwift anyway. And so those expensive carbon wheels are, are just sitting to the side and, and not really being used. And so they, they get used in a, a handful, maybe a dozen outdoor rides a year. And then they get used on race day. And, and so f- for me, um, you know, I, I could probably rent and be just fine. Um, I, I do think if you ride quite a bit outside, uh, life's too short to run aluminum wheels. You know, why, why not have a nice pair of carbon wheels and, and get to enjoy them on all of your rides? Um, but, but if you're largely indoors and you're just, you've got one or two A races a year, um, yeah, you can save a lot of money and, and kind of increase your watts per dollar ratio um, um, just by renting and probably spend that the extra money you're saving somewhere else uh, and, and increase your gains. So it's a great point. Yeah. And uh, the, the last one I got here is a trip to the wind tunnel. <laughs> now it's, it's not exactly <laughs> a gear item and most people aren't going to be able to do that and swing it for whatever reason, you know, money, time, all that. But uh, nearly anyone could save some Watts by going there. Uh, I did have the opportunity to go to the A2 wind tunnel down in North Carolina back in 2016 a sponsor had covered the cost for me and the all-in cost, I mean, I think it was something like $2,000 um, for the all-in cost. Uh, and it was two hours of testing. Um, the reports showed I could save around 10 watts if I accepted all the changes they recommended, many of which required me to spend more money, wow. like on a new aero helmet <laughs> that was slightly faster than the aero helmet I was using. Other changes required me to be less comfortable to assume a praying mantis style position on the bike which I did use for about six months. I ended up getting fairly comfortable in it, but ultimately decided to reverse. I wasn't comfortable enough to justify being that way for nearly five hours on the bike and being able to run well off the bike. Uh, But one one thing that kind of surprised me, um, but maybe I shouldn't have about my experience in the wind tunnel was that the experts there are solely focused uh, on aerodynamic gains. They don't address as much or care as much about your comfort uh, or your wallet. Uh, so they're they're there to help you maximize your aerodynamics through mac- minimizing your CDA, your coefficient, um, um, your coefficient. So all all in all, in my experience, I'm not sure I got enough out of the wind tunnel to justify the cost. Um, the value there, I mean, maybe it's 250 bucks per watt. Yeah, I think that brings up a good point, Matt. That uh, and this is true for for all of these. 
but especially on a big ticket item like like your two thousand dollar trip to the wind tunnel is everything we do there's an opportunity cost so for every dollar we spend on something that means we're not spending that on something mm -hmm. else so you know instead of going to to the wind tunnel and spending two grand um you know what if you spent that two grand elsewhere um you know is there where do you come out ahead you know and that's that's something even in a decision where where all of these we have opportunity cost and and when we buy one thing or we spend one dollar we're not spending that dollar on something else so so yeah especially on some of these big ticket items you know do you buy the one big ticket item or do you go with 10 of the smaller ticket items and and then what is the net effect of those. So again, and, and this is where it, it all gets hard and there's no uh, objective concrete answer. And the best we can do is, is kind of hope that we make the best decisions. And, and if nothing else, we, we look cooler at the end. Yeah, John. So let's, uh, let's flesh that out a little bit. You know, now that we've kind of identified, you know, what, what the free items are, what the small items are, what the big items are, um, you know, let, let's kind of talk through, you know, kind of best value to worst value, you know, just in terms of Watts per dollar, you know, from all these items that athletes might be considering adding or upgrading. Yeah, uh, by value, yeah. Go. Let's go for the free stuff first because the value there is infinity. <laughs> yeah, infinite <laughs> value. Infinite value. Uh, you can be selective. You know, once you've done all the free stuff, then you can be selective about the items you decide to buy, so that you save yourself as many watts as possible, given whatever budget it is that you have. So obviously, if you've got a twenty thousand plus dollar budget, then go ahead and just do everything. <laughs> Take your time and and do it all. And get me one while you're at it. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, but if you don't have a huge budget like that, then uh, based off the value, I'll give you my top three. Uh, first, a well-fitted sleeve tri kit. Uh, again, you have to have a kit anyway. Um, just go get yourself a great kit. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be aerodynamic. Um, get the TriDot one that's on the TriDot store website because it looks awesome. <laughs> and uh, that's going to save you good money uh, in, or good watts, um, in terms of the overall value. So it's I mean, like we said before, it's about 30 bucks per watt, uh, which is very, very good value for something that you're spending money on. Uh, the other one, the arrow helmet, which seriously is just something that keeps coming back, um, as something that is really valuable versus a road helmet. Again, it's going to be about a 30 buck per watt value. Uh, and then for the third one for me is, is racing tires, latex tubes. So it's fairly inexpensive at around maybe hundred to 200 bucks to swap out your training tires and your tubes out. Uh, but they're going to save you about five watts or so, give or take, um, maybe maybe even a little bit more. Uh, and it's only going to cost you, again, about 30 bucks per watt for those as well. All good stuff. Yeah, definitely a fan of those, Matt. So I think for for me, um, my my top one, again, it's, it's, it's almost there at the free, but a, a bottle of degreaser, some water, and some lube. Uh, I've said it a dozen times on a dozen other podcasts that a clean bike is a fast bike. And so this is something um, that one is going to help your, your bike last longer. So you're going to get a better return on that investment that you're making um, both from the longevity of the product as well as the performance of the product. So um, this, this is real simple. It, it, again, it doesn't take a whole lot to keep your bike clean and keep it well lubed. Um, I, I raced Ironman, gosh, just a couple of days ago now. Um, and there were a couple of times where I rode up on some folks and I could hear uh, their drivetrain just making yeah. all sorts of noise. And it just, oh, it was like, it just irked me. One, it was like, I don't like the sound of it, but it was <laughs> just like, man, you're racing Ironman. Like take five minutes to clean your chain and put some fresh lube on. Like you don't have to go all in and spend 300 bucks on a fancy chain like Andrew, but at least, at least take a towel and, and wipe the grit and the sand off and, and put a, put a little bit of lube on it. Um, you know, so easy, so simple. And, and yeah, that's, that's really going to pay dividends. And, and as we mentioned before, um, it's going to, to help 
um, with the efficiency of that drivetrain, but also uh, extend the life of, of the drivetrain as well. Because all that, that, that stuff gets in there, and that's, that's really what, uh, what, what grinds it up. And, and John, I'll, I'll mention I'll mention while we're here. One, I didn't spend three hundred dollars on that chain. That's a slight over exaggeration, but not far off. Uh, two, not all lubes are created equal, um, and so this is another spot where you have the opportunity to to gain just a handful of watts. Okay, so so you're because you've listened to Coach John Mayfield, you're going to lube your chain anyway. Um, so go ahead and, and look up, and just with a quick Google search, you, you can find that there, there's some. Uh, different lubes out there, and some are better than others. Um, some are better than others in wet conditions. Some are better than others in dry conditions. So, so look at what your conditions are going to be on the day. Um, and and we, we won't walk through on this episode all the different um, chain lube options that are out there. Um, I, I personally use one that's put out by a brand called Silka. Um, that that is a it, it's it's not waxing your chain, but it, it's kind of a wax based uh, uh, wet lube that that I apply to my my chain. And, uh, and so there's, there's different options out there that, that can give you different speeds. Um, ceramic speed, I think sells, uh, UFO drip, which is absurdly expensive, but promises to be the fastest one on the market. And so from, from that one, which is expensive all the way to cheap, you know, $10 bottles, there's a bunch of options out there and, and just do a, a little Google searching and, and you can find exactly which one is, is the right fit for you, uh, and can save you three or four Watts over a, a really cheap, uh, 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 uh more basic loop. And then the last thing I'm bringing up um, are bearings, which we we've talked um, a little bit about things like like pulleys, um, but bearings is is something that um, you can upgrade. You can go with a a ceramic option as opposed to the steel, and uh, there are some some benefits to doing that. But uh, I think this is also something people often neglect or or even forget about the fact that um, our bikes are largely driven by bearings. And those bearings wear out over time. They lose their efficiency. They lose their performance. If it's been a while, uh, you're due. If, if you don't know exactly <laughs> when the last time you replaced your, your bearings throughout your bike, I can guarantee you uh, that you're due. So uh, this is a good time of year to go out and kind of start fresh. Um, speaking specifically to, to things like your bottom bracket, um, these, again, the, the, the price varies based on what you decide to go with. I would say that is probably the one that is going to to wear out the quickest and need to be replaced most often. And then as far as the things that are uh, what we consider the worst value, just because it's the worst value doesn't mean not to do it. So I think um, as far as a watts per dollar, uh, your carbon triathlon bike is probably um, not real high up on that scale of, of yeah. great watts per <laughs> dollars, but um, a, a good carbon triathlon bike uh, is is really critical, um, especially if you are committed to the sport, especially if you're doing long course racing, especially if you want to be competitive. Uh, you really do need to make that jump from from a if you're riding a road bike, going to that carbon triathlon bike really is a necessity. Now, um, again, we get into a huge range of price options and all, and and so you don't have to go to that ten thousand dollar and up super bike uh, if you but. If you, as long as you have the aerodynamics and the geometry of that triathlon bike, that is going to be sufficient. Can you can you squeeze out some additional gains, a little bit extra wattage? Yeah, but those those watts per dollar are going to be real expensive. Yeah. Some of the other things we we've, we've discussed, uh, several of them are those rotational weight things. Um, so these are important. Uh, they can increase your performance. 
Um, so when we talk about dropping weight, as we as we did earlier, it's it's important to to focus on those things that are rotational, those things that are moving. So you're going to get better value out of the things that are are moving as opposed to the things that are static. So dropping weight off your frame, dropping uh, weight off your your cockpit, uh, things like that, those are not going to pay the same dividends as those things that are moving. So things like your wheels, your tires, your cranks, um, your your pulley chains, your chain itself, all those things that are moving, those are are going to be more beneficial um, in, in reducing weight. But again, oftentimes going from something that's good to great, um, that's where those watts per dollars get get pretty expensive. Um, and, and again, as we already mentioned, often those things are, are going to perform quite well uh, as long as they are clean, they're lubed, and they're in good shape. Now, um, inevitably, all those things I mentioned will, will wear out. Your tires, your, your chain, those pulley wheels, the, the um, um, bottom bracket, they're going to need to be replaced. So when, when they are due, um, maybe that's a good time to go ahead and take advantage of some of those upgrade opportunities. And then we mentioned wheels before. Um, wheels are great. Wheels will make a big difference. Wheels are worth minutes, um, especially at 70.3 and Ironman distance race, but they are expensive, um, especially a disc wheel. So the it's it's one of those things, again, kind of undisputed that a disc is, is going to be faster in vast majority of scenarios, but those disc wheels come uh, at a premium. So watts per dollars, um, it's there. If it's it's in the budget, great. You will be faster, but um, you definitely pay for it. So, I mean, ton of information uh, that you guys have given us just about different items and the watts they save and how expensive they are and and, and what we should be be thinking about as we're kind of forming our, our shopping list. And so, this is going to vary, you know, based on what gear an athlete currently has. Um, you know, some people already have some stuff. Some people ha- have entry level stuff. Um, you know, we're all in a different place in, in our journey with the sport. Um, so it's hard to get really specific here. Um, but so, so just in general, what advice can each of you share on how to prioritize upgrading all, all of these watt saving items? Yeah, for me, it's about plucking that low hanging fruit. So, you know, go through the list of things that we described our, our recommendations on the highest value and start there. And if you, if you don't have an aero helmet right now, or if you don't have a sleeved kit, you know, go ahead and get those first. But then, you know, all the other things that we talked about, if you have room in the budget, and if you see that the, you know, the low-hanging fruit is that you've never raced on race wheels before, then think about either renting or buying some race wheels. Uh, if it's going to make you a lot faster, like something with, with race wheels, for instance, you know, maybe it makes sense to save up or beg your significant other for a nice Christmas present. <laughs> That's all a great thing. It says if there's something you want, maybe like a nice bike upgrade, just go talk about it near, near your partner's uh, phone. And uh, next thing you know, they're <laughs> going to start having ads pop up for those those things. So uh, what a strategy! A that, uh... <laughs> yeah, that that's that's next level strategy right there. That is. I was going to say, you know, I thought you were going to say talk about it around your significant other, but you're you're just saying around your significant other's phone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely more covert that way, and all of a sudden these ads are going to pop up and a uh, little subliminal suggestion there. So uh, I would say um, build it slow and over time. Uh, yeah. Triathlon really is a, a journey. And it's a time-consuming uh, journey. I'm, I, I just raced um, my my um, ten-year anniversary Ironman, and um, I can tell you they were two drastically different experiences. And um, after ten years of racing Ironman, I'm, I'm getting faster still. Um, so I don't necessarily need to have my bike at 100% uh, for my first Ironman race. You know, I'm, I've my bike now is has kind of grown with me. Um, the bike I'm currently riding is 
uh, it's almost that old. Um, had it had it for a lot of years, and and we've done a lot of races together, and and we've we've both made improvements throughout those years. Uh, I've gotten faster, uh, the bike has gotten faster. I've been able to make those upgrades uh, just kind of over time. So I would say don't rush it, and you know if you're committed to the long term, then uh, just kind of stay patient with that, and then um, you know make those upgrades when the opportunity arises. So um, there are again, as we mentioned, there's going to be times when you need to make um, replacements, you're going to need to make upgrades and just wait for those because inevitably they're going to come along. So I, I would definitely not suggest going out to the bike shop and just uh, throwing down the credit card to buy all these things at once. They're they're going to come due. And when they do, just uh, do what you can when you have that opportunity. So RaceX has a really cool feature where you can actually take your plan for an upcoming race and you can run what if scenarios to see what they will do to your projected bike split. So for example, before the escape from Alcatraz, uh, I was able to compare what my bike split would be uh, racing on my road bike versus racing on my tri-bike. Um, another example, a good friend of mine, shout out to Trotout athlete Jonathan Mejia, um, he was trying to decide what gear item to buy next. And so he did some comparisons between his current setup with a deeper rear wheel and then his current setup with a, a more aero helmet and numerically was able to see how much each possible purchase could affect his time. Uh, and, and he made his purchasing decision uh, based on that. So talk to us about how that feature works and how athletes can use it to get a feel for the impact a gear purchase could have. So predicting bike splits is is basically algebra. It's solving for X. So we have a, a series of variables in there. We know distances. We can um, quantify an athlete's power, their drag coefficient, and, and there are others that, that go into it. Um, so when we have all those known or, or there's one that we, we don't know or there's one that we're changing, again, it's, it's largely just an algebraic equation. So it's it's there's a lot that goes into determining the variables, but the math itself is is pretty simple. So um, what we can do is is manipulate any of those variables, and um, we can see what the outcome of that is. So um, we know what the say the difference between a road helmet and an aero helmet is. So we can plug that into that algebraic equation and see what the uh, impact is on on a bike split over a certain distance. So um, again, we can we can look at things like changes in aerodynamics, changes in weight. Um, things like that. So that allows us to to make a, a more informed decision um, as to as to what is going to reap the biggest benefit for us uh, or what is going to be our best decision on race day, just like you mentioned with uh, your escape from Alcatraz scenario. And if math scares you, don't worry. RaceX does it all for you. <laughs> we, we give you ranges. We give you approximate numbers based on the science that's out there in this podcast. But RaceX will give you the numbers that are specific to you and the course that you're racing. Like, I love that example of you on the road bike versus the tri bike in Alcatraz. Like, that's one where uh, people have talked about that. And, you know, anybody who's been racing that race knows that it may make sense for you to be on a road bike. And there's not many tri courses that are like that. But that's a specific example where it really makes a big difference where you can make that decision using the what if analysis in, in RaceX. Uh, so you can really use it to dial in how much you would expect to gain from making some of the upgrades that we've covered in, in this episode and, uh, and and the one that uh, Andrew just mentioned. So from all this, you know, we, we've talked about a lot. I think we've we've kind of inceptioned in a lot of people's minds, you know, what their their next purchase might be. Uh, but but for you guys, as you're kind of looking at your current bike setup and you're looking at uh, what's out there on the market and all these all these fun toys, you know, some are cheaper, some are more expensive. What bike upgrade are each of you guys looking to make next and why so for me i just spoke fondly of my bike but uh i think it's time to to retire that one to the trainer 
Uh, full time, I am definitely due for a new bike. I've actually had a bike on order since January. Uh, so we are now approaching a year that uh, I've been waiting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I picked the worst time in in bike history to, to try to get uh, a new bike. So things have been held up with uh, factory closures and supply chain and shipping and, and all those things. So um, you know, as, as I mentioned, both, um, me and my bike are getting older. Uh, there are certainly some things I wish I could replace on, on, on me, uh, you know, a new set of knees and a new IT band would, would be great. Um, but, uh, I, I since I can't do that, I'll, uh, I guess I'll just go with a new bike. Matt, what about you? I want a new bike too, John. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I do like, would like a new bike, um, but a mountain bike, um, so that I can join my buddies out on the trails. They've been riding without me. Having a lot of fun out there. I'm experiencing some FOMO. Okay. So I, I, I would like a new mountain bike. I, I don't own one right now, so that's why I can't go with them. Um, I, I just owned one when I was a kid, and it was just, you know, your Huffy from yeah. Walmart or whatever it was. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do actually have an upgrade in mind for my existing bike, though, and that's paying attention to my drivetrain. I haven't paid attention to it in a while. I know I'm losing some watts there. Um, I'm definitely overdue for a, a new bottom bracket, a new chain. Um, if I'm racing, I'll, I'll get a, a wax chain. And the oversized pulley systems are pretty new since, um, I mean, even while I was racing competitively and really seriously, they weren't really much of a thing at that point. So um, they're intriguing and something that I have never reused or, um, you know, would like to, and I would like to use it. So uh, I would also, of course, have to clean my existing cassette and the big rings and all that. Definitely need some tender love and care. So going back to the original question of the podcast, I guess uh, I did convince at least one person to uh, to spend some money. <laughs> at least me. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. We are huge fans of our friends at Delta G. You know, training and racing with the original ketone ester has certainly been eye-opening. The science behind their product, I mean, it just intrigued us from the get-go. And and now that our whole staff has experienced fueling with Delta G, um, I I just wanted to hear y'all's experience training and racing with their ketone ester. Um, You know, folks have, have heard my experience already a little bit. Um, Matt, for you, um, you, you took a different approach. Uh, you know, I, I've done, uh, a lot of bike work with Delta G in my system. Uh, but, but you decided to do something a little bit different to test out, uh, how Delta G could benefit you. Um, tell us about it. I did. Yeah. And I'll share my experience with it. Uh, first though, I mean, ever since I started working with Dr. Krista Austin, which was actually back when I was at UCAN about maybe three years ago now, uh, ketone esters have intrigued me because Krista draws a very solid line between what she recommends and what she reserves her judgment on. Um, or, or doesn't recommend to people because it just doesn't pass the test for her. Yeah. And there's a very short list that is Krista approved. And to make that list is no small feat. So you can, is on that list. Ketone esters are as well. And that made me just extra excited to try out, uh, Delta G. So I decided to, um, you know, I haven't been training and racing seriously like you and John. So I took the opportunity to set up a field experiment for myself and I was the Guinea pig. Sure. And so yeah. I did two five Ks seven days apart from each other so as to avoid having any difference in fitness one that i did with delta g and one that i did without so for the first 5k i ran 1851 that was without delta g Uh, my average heart rate was 179 and then like i said seven days later identical everything i i the time i woke up the time i ran uh the breakfast i ate the weather was comparable the same track the same warm-up routine um, the same clothing, 
don't worry. I did wash them between <laughs> sessions. Good. Yeah. I, I splashed water over my head both times right before I did started the 5K. I used the same shoes. Like everything, I tried to make everything as absolutely possible be the same. And I ran my next 5K uh, with Delta G this time, having taken it about 20 minutes before I began uh, the 5K. And I ran 1827. Wow. A 24-second improvement. So 1851 down to 1827. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I just tried harder, and that's why I went faster. So, And that'll be reflected in my heart rate. But no, I look at my average heart rate. It was actually one beat lower wow. than the first time that I ran it. And I ran 24 seconds faster. I was like, all right, well, this is this is pretty amazing. And, and the incredible thing there, Matt, is is I, I'm with you in that 5K range. So I know from experience um, landing in that time range for my 5K, I mean, a, a 24 second difference at that pace is, is significant. I, I, I was super pleased, um, at Ironman Waco, um, racing with Delta G in my system. Um, I, I said it in the podcast episode where John and Elizabeth interviewed me, but I just felt so perfectly fueled, uh, the whole time I was on the course. And I, I truly believe Delta G was a part of that because here's the thing. I never used it in my race rehearsals. I, I, you, you know, when, when we first bought some, you know, I used it for an FTP test. I use it in a stamina session and I had not replaced my stores of Delta G, uh, before race day. Uh, and so for both my race rehearsals, I didn't have it. And at the end of those stamina sessions, I was wiped. I was losing steam. I, I, I still had time to go. And, and my longest race rehearsal was a five and a half hour ride. And so on race day, you know, I was out there riding for, for six hours and, and 20 something minutes. I had to run a full marathon off of it. And I, I felt better. And, and part of that's the taper. Uh, but I truly believe part of that was also del Delta G and, and the kicker came in the recovery because, you know, sure. Right after the race, you know, I was tired. I was sore, you know, the, the next couple days, you know, I was, I was slow moving up, up and down the stairs in the house. But by Wednesday, the, the following Wednesday after my Ironman, my, my muscles like largely felt ready to go and, and, and do it all over again. Now, now my Achilles was sore, uh, but that was a different story. And so that's kind of held me back from working out again, uh, since that race. But um, the recovery, just holy cow. Um, I, I felt like I was ready to race again within a week. And, and I, I think a lot of that, uh, was from the Delta G. So, um, Elizabeth, uh, James, while we were in Waco, um, she had a long stamina session on the bike where she used her Delta G for the first time. And she actually said, you know, we made a big deal about the taste. She actually said, after hearing us all talk about the, the potent taste of Delta G, um, she was expecting it to be way, way worse than it was. She was like, yeah, I don't, I don't see what you guys were making a big deal about. You know, I, I drank it just fine. So, so either we are, are, are big wussies in that or, or she's just, uh, way, 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 way stronger in her, in her taste bud tolerance. I don't know, but um, I always say women are tougher than men. <laughs> I believe that fully. Um, uh, but, but she said she had a great stamina session and she was really impressed with her first impression of Delta G. Um, so John, you and I are the only two that have raced, with Delta G in our system so far. So, so what was your experience racing with it in Ironman Maryland? So uh, I started the day with a cocktail of my my nutrition, some precision hydration, and the Delta G. So that was I was there in transition, and as I was headed down to the swim start, uh, that's that's what I took. And and yeah, that uh, taste helped uh, wake me up and and get me ready to go. Uh, I had a great swim. Uh, I set a PR on the bike as far as my Ironman PR. Um, and then I had the same cocktail in T2. So again, some calories, my precision hydration, um, and then a, a serving of the, the Delta G mixed in there and, and set out, um, on the run course, but I didn't have, I didn't have the run split, um, primarily because of the, the weather that I'd hoped for. It ended up being a lot hotter, um, than, than I had hoped or expected. And, and I did, uh, struggle a bit, um, 
on the run. I still did have a, a 25 minute, I believe it was Ironman PR at the end of the day. Um, and, and one of the things they told us to look for was because I had this thought of it's Ironman. There are so many variables that that are going to go into this. How do I really evaluate um, what this this one of of a dozen variables um, is? And and one thing they said to to focus on, and, and you guys have alluded to it as well, is keep an eye on your heart rate. Um, and, and I'll say that I was I was shocked that my heart rate stayed as low as it did, especially given the temperature. Uh, that I was running in, I would have expected um, my heart rate to to spike after being out there for uh, 10, 11 hours on the the day um, in upper 80s and in high humidity. I would have expected my heart rate to be significantly higher than it was. But uh, every time I looked down at my heart rate, I was right there where where I needed it to be. So um, you know, I think they kind of called their shot as far as that goes. Um, if if I didn't have that explanation, I, I would not. I don't have another explanation as to why my heart rate stayed as low as it did, given those conditions. So uh, they called their shot. So I got to give it uh, to them that uh, that's what did it. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's largely objective now. It's it's tested, and and I think between uh, the four of us having a similar experience, I think uh, I think it's living up to the hype. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank coaches John Mayfield and Matt Bach for making us smarter bike gear shoppers. A big thanks to Delta G for partnering with us on today's episode. Head to deltagketones.com to learn more about fueling with the Delta G Performance Ketone Ester. And remember, you can use promo code TRIDOT20 for 20% off your Delta G order. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to trotout.com slash podcast and let us know what you're thinking. We'll do it all again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to trydot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.